Teaching Journey Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodian of the country and pay our respects to the elders past and emerging and recognizes their continuing connections to the land, waterways and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi all, you are listening to Teaching Journey Podcast Episode 18. In this episode, I sat down with Darren Harlan who have worked in the early child sector for five years. Darren shared with us his personal experiences as a male educator, shedding light on the profound influence that a small gestures, nuances in tone and word choices shape our approach to inclusivity and equity within the sector. While we do it so well in fostering an inclusive environment for children and engage in numerous reflective conversations around gender inclusivity, there still remains a miss or limited opportunity to extend this reflective thinking to our colleagues, families and the broader communities. It is worth acknowledging the wealth of information and knowledge readily available today, elucidating the distinctions within gender identity and the evolving dynamics of gender roles. And I will pop in a few links in the show notes that might help you to consider as resources in your teaching practices with children. Often it is not done deliberately, I hope that by listening to Darren's stories, it will shed light to the small practices that we do that would make a difference in creating an inclusive community. It could also be looking at the books on the children's bookshelf on gender roles and biases. How does gender inclusion is reflected in your center's philosophy? How do you welcome people into the center? And how do you intentionally teach children about gender inclusivity in your program? So here it is, episode 18 with Darren Harlem. Enjoy. Welcome, Darren. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. It's such an honor to have you here. Actually, you were recommended to be on the podcast. Um, so I'm very looking forward to listening to your journey and listening to your story. We had a chat before this recording and I love um, the thinking that you have and the topic that we're going to be discussing today, which I think is really, really important. Um, but before we start, could you introduce yourself and talk about your journey in early childhood? Yep. So hi, everyone. My name is Darren and I've been in the early child education sector for five years now. And I've been taking on different roles and I'm lucky that I can get different roles throughout my journey. So I started as a casual staff. Then after I graduated, I was straight away early child teacher. Then after uh, one year, I was able to step into management position as a 2IC and education leader. Uh, then eventually as a center director. Uh, but now I'm currently as working as a kindergarten teacher for a not-for-profit community-owned kindergarten um, in Southeast Melbourne. Fantastic. And um, and where are you from originally, Darren? So my ethnicity is Indonesian. Yeah. So uh, I would say I'm one of the teacher with a migrant background. And it's so important yeah. to highlight that because that's part of our teaching identity. We carry that throughout our pedagogy. So, um, you know, we want to embrace the diversity that we have and, the, and and look that as a strength that we carry into our pedagogy. So, yeah. I agree, yeah. yeah. And so how has your journey in early childhood been? Like, what did it look like for you? Um, do you had a great experience the first few years? So the, the reason why I first joined early childhood education is, have you heard the concept Ikigai? The Japanese yes, concept, I Ikigai? love the concept Ikigai, yes. Yeah, I remember again, um, just when I was 
years back then when I was younger. Um, so Ikigai is the concept of meaning, the reason being. It's a Venn diagram model. model. So there's four circles. Um, circles are what you love doing, what you're good at, what the world needs, and what you can be paid for. And after a long reflection, I found that the intersection of all of these circles is becoming a teacher. So that's why I delved into it. Uh, and I always see it as um, the ability to teach children and be around children and nurture them to be a big strength. Because I would, um, again, having the passion as well, I would love to see more people being able to, let's just say, uh, be in a room with four infants for the whole day or lead a, a room with 11 kindergarten children for a whole day. I think it's a strength. Um, and to answer your question, D, uh, the challenges that uh, I guess I start first in the early childhood sector is having the negative stigma around being a male educator in the HED sector. So HED, healthcare, education, and domestic work. And I'm in education. It's similar to how women face stigma as well and bias in STEM. And uh, now I feel like uh, that was years back then. I feel like now currently if you go, uh, if you enter the workforce, uh, now the sector, male or female, you'll be, uh, there's more inclusive practices and more thoughtfulness um, around. But back then, uh, and sadly, I didn't, uh, I would say, face that inclusivity. There's still some, uh, there's still some barriers, but I'm happy now as in like manage to push through and get to the point where I am right now. Um, do you want me to give you some examples? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so this may be in uh, in other people's, I guess, center as well, if they have all females as well. So usually using the daily languages that uh, we say. So for example, saying, hi, ladies, hey, girls, or uh, I'm going to pass the message to the girls. Uh, sometimes uh, when I first started as a casual staff, um, uh, the director says this a lot as well, and in the email as well, when they're trying to, for example, distribute the roster. Mm. Um, hi, ladies below is the roster or the, uh, maybe um, when they're saying uh, just any communication base it's like oh hey girls hi ladies yeah and then uh, also in the phone message oh yeah for example oh thanks uh, thanks Rebecca I'm gonna pass the message to the girls as a uh, freshly it's again someone who's fresh to the workforce uh, to the sector I didn't want to rock the boat as well the center I just went along all I want to do is um, refine my skill every day we would be with the children and get used to uh, get used to the pace uh, and then one day I was so uh, appreciative. The the kindergarten teacher said, "Hey, um, let's just say the center manager's name is, hey Beck, hey Rebecca. Um, we know we have we have Darren here. Um, can we change it not hey ladies?" And then the director said, "Oh, you're right. Actually, you know, I I think it's just a daily thing for her to use this phrase, and she didn't think about uh, the whole team. You know, maybe she was thinking about the permanent team, not the whole uh, team, including casual." And then she's like, yeah, uh, I can change it easily. And then she actually came to me and apologized for it. So that was a big moment. I still remember to this day as well uh, that I, I took that as a really good, a really good notion that um, there's a, re- out there is a, there's a corrective, uh, corrective action. And then um, the kindergarten teacher said, said something on my behalf as well that, you know, she stood up for me. Uh, so that's a simple, a simple example, D. Yeah. And I think it's so important to bring it up because, you know, historically, um, the earlier sector is, is mothercraft, you know, where it's women who are motherly uh, nature. 
looking into the role of looking after children, caring for children, which is where childcare originally comes from. Um, but we're shifting that and, you know, with really reconsidering the uh, inclusion around children as well, around gender, um, and that's applicable to the professional um, space as well, where we've got educators who are now male, which is fantastic. Um, but we're seeing that, um, you know, obviously the percentage of having male educators is very low. I think I've done a little bit of research. It's actually under 20% within the whole sector. And some centers do have one, at least one maybe, um, male centers, and some don't. So, you know, we're seeing not very high male within the early child workforce, um, but we want to see more and we want to keep you know male educators here because not only it offers a different diversity but it also gives that i guess across the board that this is a professional space where both male and female are able to educate children as well and so that stigma yeah. that comes from it the concept of like oh yeah this is a ladies uh you know industry um and and that language is almost embedded within the, the culture of communication isn't it yeah yeah, I agree. And I think, again, I'm not surprised with the stats. Mm. I think all over globally as well, there is um, a low percentage of men uh, in the early child sector. Also, I think teachers in general, primary school, secondary as well. And I think a big, a big barrier as well is the perception or the bias where men can easily be perceived as predators or dangerous, yeah. especially working with young children. And because of this, again, this um, stereotype, not stereotype, I say bias, being pers uh, being perceived in this negative light is perpetuated maybe through families or through staff as well, so internal as well. And it can lead to a lesser degree of sense of belonging in the workplace. And that's discouraging as well for, um, I guess, the, the male educators because it leads to you're, you don't take much as much pride in your professional identity and it discourages you for, for even wanting to try more new ideas or even, I would say, pursuing the career. I think uh, another example as well for me, I remember um, when, again, sorry, as a casual, because I would move from centers to another as well. You know, when you're casual, you bouncing from one center to another as well, learning, uh, learning how different centers do different practices. And when they were tied for staffing, they were staffing uh, the, uh, the educators around, uh, they were really, they didn't say it to me directly, but I overheard conversation, of course, because you're waiting to see oh, which room I'm going to be in. Mm. And they're like, oh, can there be an infant still? What, um, why, don't, why don't he just go to kinder room, you know, can he change nappies? And then in, in my mind, I was thinking to myself, yes, I can change nappies. That's, um, I did during my placement, I was taught as well. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm fully prepared, you know, to change your nappy, more than happy to. And then they're like, oh, I don't know, can you be with any infants though? Toddlers, are they a bit too young? You know, we can just put them in kinders. Uh, eventually, uh, I was in the infant's room and everything went smoothly. Uh, you know, I just followed what the team leader's um, direction and instructions were. And uh, after being done for the day, I, I thought to myself, oh, I didn't do anything wrong, but I felt wrong somehow. Mm. Yeah, mm. And I remember as well, Again, during my uh, uh, during when you started working as well early, um, I was comforting a child as well, and then the child went sit on sit on my lap, and then you know the child sat on my lap, and then uh, you know we we talked, have that little bonding moment, you know when I I'm trying to help the child regulate her emotions, and then uh, when 
when the teacher came, um, the teacher was like, oh, why is Miss sitting on your lap? Why is she so close to you? And I was like, and I felt like, oh, I was giving her a hug. You know, she wanted some comfort. I didn't see anything that's wrong with it. But again, I felt wrong and I felt like, oh, uh, I am somehow of a danger, but I'm not, you know, I'm working with you as a part of the team. You know, we're working together for, for classroom management, uh, so that, uh, to build children's connection and relationship. So again, all of these little comments, they might be, they might be, I would say, fleeting, but they do mean a lot, uh, I guess, for fresh, uh, for, or for educators who just started, yeah. uh, for many educators and, and for anyone. So I think it, it, the language that we have, to, uh, that we use daily have to, have to be reflected and you have to be quite mindful about it. Yeah. And also, it's just that general um, thinking or perception and stigma around, you know, that male are predators and that male are unsafe. And if we use this language around children, then children are going to be very around, all right, well, that's a male. I need to be very careful and I cannot be, uh, you know, behave in a certain way around male but i'm all right with female so that's already you know setting that um i guess misjudgment around gender um and we know that now i think uh given that you know internet is and and, and knowledge and information are widely sourced and easily sourced i should say that we know that predators are not only males um, there are also um, as a female and which is why early childhood is very highly like regulated and that you know we've got the mandating you know safe policies around keeping children safe um, and those practices to make sure that you know we're keeping all children safe so I think it's just really thinking around those practices and those language like you said that we need to be mindful that we're not categorizing people in a certain way and that's what you know inclusion is as well that it it, it, it doesn't really matter that you know um let's not assume that darren's going to be fixing all the things around uh the center because he's a male and he's very good with his tools um you know those sort of assumptions sometimes we don't take notice until we actually stop and pause and i hope that people are listening to this uh just uh being aware of the languages i use um, around describing the professional sector, uh, professional colleagues, but also around children as well. What are the stigma that we're implying uh, when we talk about gender roles? I completely agree, T. And we have all of these, again, child protection, uh, protection standard. New one came out as well um, mm. last year, so it became from 7 to 11. Um, and it's a heavily, again, um, regulated uh, sector. So, again, not only one gender, but anyone, uh, anyone can be, you know, uh, can be a threat, or uh, anyone can endanger a child. So we, that's why we have to be super careful as well. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned about uh, again being active and being good with the tools, because that's one of the stereotypes as well that I got as well. Um, and again, not all male educators are goal kicking, football coaching, tree climbing, furniture moving, um, <laughs> and I would say father figurely, uh, and it's. Uh, and it's funny as well because, um, again, my name is Darren, so it starts with DA. And a lot of children uh, um, mistakenly calls me dad as well sometimes as well. You know, when they're going out, you know, they're, they're trying to get up, they're trying to call me out, and then they're like, dad and dad, and I was like, oh, <laughs> and they're like, they know they made a mistake, so like, oh, Darren, okay. Um, 
but you're right and not all not all educators not only male uh, we have we can stereotype we can stereotype them for example oh you're um you're a female educator you must be good with you know uh, with sewing you must be good with cooking mm. um no that's not necessarily true um also with male educators uh just because you're a male doesn't mean um you're you're gonna be good with your tools or be uh, be a handyman uh i'm lucky because that's also my tendency that that's my dispositions i'm pretty good with my tools and fixing things moving things so um that works well with me uh for example like uh our kindergarten offers bush kinder and uh and that comes naturally to me uh, bringing children out getting uh getting um being in the element with the nature being dirty climbing trees I, I can teach them that uh but again we can't assume that everyone's good at a certain thing just because they're just because of their gender and a key takeaway message from all of this experience experience for me is the spirit of collegiality and that's a part of the ECA Early Child Australia's code of ethics um, in relations to your educators or to your colleagues you will try to um, you will try to appreciate and also uh, empower each other uh, based on the diversity but also with BIT with Victoria Institute of Teaching's code of conduct I actually took note that's principle 1.8 collegiality is an integral part of the work of teachers so standing up for one and another and speaking out as well when you see something that's this might be seem a bit odd um re- it's can be quite powerful like my first example um and this reminds me of a quote i'm paraphrasing here it's something to do with uh kindness it's like a candle so a, a candle is a small thing but you can light up another person's uh kindness or power by lending uh, simply lending your fire as well and the room becomes much brighter because you spread the kindness yeah and that's so powerful especially what's happening with the sector and how we're in crisis at the moment and how a lot of practices that we're seeing um you know not so great because you know we're sort of going ahead with what's been instructed what's been directed and not questioning uh not reflecting um and i think like what you said it's about hang on if something doesn't fit right or sit right and my gut feeling says you know, I need to question that or I need to uh, bring that into attention. Um, and often like, you know, the example that you've given that, you know, your um, previous director, um, you know, called everyone ladies, it, it sounds like she wasn't aware because it's such a common language that's used within the sector that it becomes a second nature. It becomes, you know, um, yeah, it's, it just rolls out the tongue. And until someone actually kind of go, hey, by the way, we've actually got a male educator let's try to call it you know hey educators or hey team instead and it's that wow that reflective moment of yeah actually you're right i need to really be thinking about my words my practices my um impact of others and just really pause and reflect and what a powerful tool to be able to have someone tapping on your shoulder because you've offered that opportunity of trust relationship uh, with others within your team that kind of go that the person's sort of like comfortable with tapping you on the shoulder and say hey you've actually said this maybe you should consider about something else so um you know and that's such a powerful thing i think as well yeah yeah uh, you're right Dee. and this also brings up i guess a beautiful um connection to critical reflection mm-hmm. when we critically reflect our own practice there is an element of uh, we, we are questioning who does this benefit why are we doing this just because it's always been done this way doesn't make it necessarily right 
um, when we do critical reflection, there is we are questioning the the, the power balance, like um, who is this benefiting the most and who is this not benefiting or who's at loss in here. So, as uh, a lot of the practice we do with children, critical reflection, inclusive language, we can apply that to our own workplace as well and uh, between between educators and teachers as well, uh, because teachers, uh, the role of teachers and educator is very complex. You are multitasking, balancing a lot of things at the same time. That's why, you know, sometimes when you go home, I'm pretty sure a lot of educators and teachers feel the same way. You are so tired. Mm -hmm. You are completely drained because you're balancing so many things and you're managing so many uh, relationships with different stakeholders, with the children, with family, and between uh, your colleagues as well. And uh, I just want to highlight a relationship with colleagues is so important as well to maintain um, because if you want if you want your well-being to be maintained at a high high state you gotta make sure that you have a good workplace and workplace culture as well and that starts with again not uh, diminishing that stereotype and bias towards each other yeah most definitely yeah and and you know and it's i think that's a wonderful thing about the sector is that it's not isolating you know you don't work alone with children you're working with a team and there's the diversity that comes with it when you work together and that um, I believe that it's a magical thing when you have an idea and you share with someone and the person goes oh my goodness that sounds great let's do this and let's do that it's almost like that bouncing idea sort of you feel you know that that togetherness um, and that's I think that's one thing that's such a beautiful thing to be working with people that you're not alone within the sector and so building that trust building that positive relationship with your team it's so important so that then you've got the opportunity to have that you know openness and trusting critical reflection that you know you're you're constantly questioning and and and, uh, constantly being open with each other yeah and i think that's amazing yeah definitely and i also want to i guess um bring out the fact again i've been talking a lot about the negative bias again uh, with male educators but it also applies as well as i guess migrant teachers who have migrant background as well who who may not originate from australia sometimes you may also face your own discrimination as well mm-hmm. and struggling to find your sense of belonging finding your um i would say your gr- your groove or your emotion uh throughout the whole uh, teaching sector but it's also a powerful card to have because uh, because you are different, you bring so much power as well. Uh, for example, I've heard comments as well throughout my uh, early childhood um, journey, like, oh, there's a male director there, there's a male teacher there. And because uh, because of that, uh, we have to reframe the experience. You have so much power and also uh, uh, within you that you can make a positive, positive impact. Yeah, so you have that influence uh, as well because, and also for teachers as well with migrant backgrounds, you can bring your culture into um into your teaching practices and into the classroom culture that uh, can really trickle well to the families as well. I remember working with a colleague who's a Japanese teacher and one of the highlights for for the whole year was cooking, uh, was making sushi in there. She was teaching how to make a sushi and then the children were so were so happy like uh, rolling the, the rice with seaweed uh, with the seaweed and learning you have to put a bit of vinegar there. Um, so it's a, a whole experience and even though there were no Japanese children but the, uh, the teacher were, uh, was able to bring a little part of her to the room and uh, it it really brightens up the whole classroom and the teaching as well. Yeah, most definitely. We do it so well with children with thinking about inclusivity and embracing 
individual identity with children. It's reflected in framework, it's reflected in our code of ethics, it's reflected in our NQS. But when it comes to working with other educators, we still carry that stigma around gender and roles that plays within the sector, which is quite interesting to see that dynamic shift and change between working alongside with children and working alongside with adults, isn't it? Um, and mm-hmm. so you've been in the sector for a while now. Have you seen a little bit of shift in, um, you know, I guess a positive shift and awareness around gender roles within um, the sector? Most definitely. I feel it's more welcoming these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially we have more diversity as well in families as well. It's not your typical nuclear family. Uh, we might have, uh, we have bigger representation of LGBTQ families. LGBTQ educators as well, um, neurodiverse children, neurodiverse uh, educators. So because of these, um, I would say, uh, bigger representation um, within the community, society, also storybooks as well. Mm. I've seen lots of storybooks are more inclusive now and they represent a wide range of um, of people in our community. I think there is more acceptance uh, these days. Uh, However, just because uh, I see that consensus, uh, I guess, in the in the mass doesn't mean every center um, might reflect it in their own culture or practice. So it's so important for us to keep a tap on ourselves and uh, see the languages, the little things that we do. Um, are they contributing to a positive workplace? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you talk a lot about you know shifting that or questioning that um, gender norm within the sector. Does that is that reflected in your practices? Is that something that you very conscious of uh, implementing that um, reflective practice and the language and the practices that you do with children and with your team? Is that something that you're quite cautious of tapping into? Yes, I'm quite cautious about that because I myself faced that uh, in the beginning. So instead of saying um, because one of my tendencies is saying, hey, get, hey guys, yeah, hey guys, hey guys, and then please, uh, please do this, please do that. Uh, I would just say three-year-olds instead, uh, yeah, just what uh, what kindergarten is this? This is three-year-old kindergarten. Hey, three-year-olds, let's line up. Um, so making sure the language that I use um, is inclusive to the uh, to the classroom as well. And also when, um, let's just say, uh, again, children might make a comment, oh, those, uh, but the but the football or uh, climbing is only for it's only for boys you know gr- you know gr- uh, girls you can play with something else oh this is only a boy station and then instead of jumping to the conclusions area oh everyone can play with that i remember having a group discussion in the morning and i pulled up my whiteboard and i was just telling telling the children you know um i find this a little bit weird and then we start making a tally like a little vote oh for example cassandra plays a sport um and then ben uh, uh, wears uh, wears pink as well so Everyone can do a bit of everything, right? As we can see, it's really hard to put them in one group. And then children are just like, oh, they're, they're, uh, I think that's such a new concept. They're trying to still grasp it. So it's definitely something I reflect through in my daily practice in the classroom, uh, making sure it's inclusive and I'm not trying to stereotype the children as well. Yeah. And literally, I had this conversation in um, a workshop today when I was teaching um, the students. Um, that often we see, uh, you know, gender discourses in children's play is because children are mimicking what they see in media or what they hear 
you know in their environment and so they are learning those uh, uh, you know co-constructing their knowledge of identity knowledge of you know um, belonging in their play exploring that and so when they say that oh only this is only a boy's place or this is only a girl's play they are mimicking that with what they see within the societal norms so I think it's great that you know we have the ability to let's have that discussion reflect on that can we consider you know boys be a certain way and like a certain color and girls vice versa um, can we open that up discussion and reflect on that and for you to be able to implement that into the practices I think it's great to hear yeah but it's quite common within children's play because that's when they start to realize that hang on there's a gender difference and I look different um, you know and let's explore that within play and so we see a lot of those play happening around three to five years of age as well you're right Dee and uh, I think children definitely mimic and learn these uh, these concepts externally uh, maybe from the media they consume or maybe from what they heard other family members say maybe older cousins or um, older siblings as well so definitely um, as teachers and educators you have the power to help the children relearn unlearn some of the concepts as well and put it in such a positive and an empowering way uh, in the classroom so um dear teachers and educators you have the power to do so to unlearn to help children unlearn and relearn different things yeah yeah that's fantastic and it's great to hear that you know that's something that you're very passionate on you know shifting that change of thinking around what societal norms is um and and, and putting that into practice and, and 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 being on the podcast and sharing that and i hope that people are listening are really reflecting on how it is that they are you know the actions and the words that they use the languages that you use with children but also with their team members rather than just you know um ignoring or, or, or just think that that's an uh, acceptable uh, thing to say because everyone is saying it as well so yeah be it whether we have you know male educators or colleagues in the center i think it's something that we really need to be aware of um with that gender language that we have yeah um yeah. now let's talk about your um you know your journey so far what are the things that you enjoy and have learned from working with children oh okay um this is an interesting question uh, because there's so many i'm not trying to pick in my head um a couple one thing that i really learned throughout my whole journey uh is that we building a relationship is a cornerstone uh, with uh, children and also with families and also educators so with all of these different relationships that you have different stakeholders if you're able to maintain that strong relationship um, uh, with these stakeholders things flow things are smooth uh, so for example if you're able to work well cohesively with your team it will trickle down the benefit to the children things uh, different routines in the room are smooth um, uh, we are able to work um, systematically so uh, everything seems seamless but also with children, sometimes with um, when we call behavior management, uh, behavior management as well. Uh, a lot of the time, the children just has a different wavelength, and they are still waiting to have the connection with you, to have the connection wavelength with you. So um, when we and it takes time. Uh, I've been there as well. There are some children that I can bond really quickly, and there are some children that it takes me a couple of terms. And then I will see this term, uh, there's like a new leaf, there's a new leaf that the children start bonding this, having this attachment with me. 
um, also with families as well. Once they, uh, I feel, families coming into early childhood as well, for example, putting the uh, child into a childcare or kindergarten, they have their doubts as well and you know their anxiety as well. Mm -hmm. They might go to work and think, oh, what's my child doing? So one thing with families, if they see your passion and all of these initiatives that you do for the children through your learning story, through your documentation, uh, and once that shines through, you, you gain the family's trust. And always back up uh, a lot of your practice or initiative uh, with your qualifications and also experience and what's the best for the child what's best for the child yeah, yeah. Uh, there are there are again I'm very sure out um, educators out there there are conflicting uh, conflicting ideas with the families uh, sometimes maybe because of culture or by belief but I always try to base it on upon my experience my qualification that this is what the with this what the finding shows, what the research has shown, and this is what the child's uh, best interest is, and can we work out a solution between us? So let's just say, for example, the com most common one is no sleep, or sleep is needed. And then um, where, do we, uh, where do we respect if the child is really tired and needs a power nap, uh, or the family really wants the child to, uh, to not sleep because at night they don't sleep at all? Can we find a middle ground for it? Um, and we have to also be open to families as well. Why are we uh, advocating this? You know, not just for the sake I want it for convenient for me for a child to sleep. Yeah, that's not uh, where I'm coming from. Or, for example, I had also in the past uh, a family from a Middle Eastern background, and the family does not want the boy to participate in setting up the table for lunch. Mm. Yeah, because that's not uh, that's not the role, uh, you know, for for boys. And then I I said, oh, in here we we use routines and every moment as an intentional intentional teaching moment there's not one moment in the uh, in the in the whole day that we don't use it as a teaching moment every everything we can use it uh, for them to teach uh, for them to learn you know it's something such as setting up the table for the whole classroom uh, and participating as a, as a member of the classroom so they feel like a sense of belonging and then we just uh, we just worked out uh, we just worked out a solution as well uh, they can see where I'm coming from as well and I gave some examples as well how the classroom works um, if we were all work together, they all chipped in as well. So in the end, he became a caller for uh, for all our children, like uh, announcer. Hey, lunch is five minutes. Everyone gather around. Uh, and sometimes when we have, when we're building relationship, uh, you will have difficult conversations. Difficult conversation in this sector is inevitable, whether it's uh, with any stakeholders. So. Practicing that, again, not everyone's naturally good at that or naturally comfortable with that. Practicing that is super important. And having feedback, gain, uh, asking for feedback, hey, um, from this conversation, or you saw how I talked to maybe family A, what did you think of it? And know that you always have a chance to renew yourself the next day. It's, it's a brand new day tomorrow. You can try, you can try it again. Mm. Uh, so don't be kind to yourself. Don't, uh, don't, be too harsh on yourself. Uh, if you think something's not up to your standard or up to your uh, up to the optimal level, uh, uh, yeah. But that's uh, I guess that's one thing that I learned so far throughout my journey. Yeah, and it sounds like you are very comfortable with reflecting within yourself, and it sounds like you are very open with just questioning. Um, you know, have I done this well? Where can I improve? And how can I be kind with myself? 
where does all of this stem from? Is this something that you've learned within the sector? Because, you know, the sector is definitely not easy in a way that there's a lot of things going on every day and we do, um, you know, now that, you know, the, the, the concept of reflective practice is so powerful and, and you hear it all the time. But that journey of being open with yourself is something that you have to do it within yourself. Is this something that you have done um, before getting into the sector? I think there's two key uh, two uh, two key area where I learned this uh, this reflective practice. Uh, number one is through um, other great teachers. Uh, I learned a lot from them, and when I see really good uh, when I see really good teachers and, and great teachers, I I really observe what they're doing and try to and try to create my own adaptation adaptations of their strategies. And usually from their conversations with other colleagues or with the director, you know, when they're reflecting under themselves, I can see where they're coming from. And they're like, oh, I could apply those same questions to myself. And then I can see the level of, again, their comfort level of opening up and asking difficult questions. Um, it's quite easy for them. And uh, again, it's through practice because they've been doing it for, for a lot of time. And I want to set myself at that standard as well. That's why um, I have to put myself on there, uh, try to get to the, that level as well. Uh, again, it's a process, baby steps to get there. Um, it takes a lot of practice. And because I think, uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of, beginning of this episode as well, in my five years, uh, I was able to become an early child teacher, but also has um, experience becoming a center director. The learning curve is huge. Mm. The learning curve is super high. And uh, I remember I was a center director at a very young age as well. And a lot of, um, again, lots of doubts from staff and also from families. Uh, and that's why, uh, because I went through a lot and the learning curve is steep, I'm able to have this state right now where I'm very reflective and open to uh, feedback, but having those conversations as well. Uh, when receiving feedback as well, in the beginning, uh, again, as a graduate teacher, I was quite defensive because it's like, whoa, mm. it means something's wrong. Mm. Something's wrong. But now I'm able to unlearn uh, unlearn these um, myths bust these myths and be like actually feedback is just a way of learning there's the solution right in front of you yeah and it's okay to um, admit like oh I did something that's I did something that maybe it's wrong let's fix that you can always fix things and um, when people are able to see that improvement I think they appreciate even more like uh, and uh, being also um, being humble as well, no, uh, admitting that you don't know everything, and you're willing to learn. And sometimes there's a power when you're saying, "I don't, I don't know everything, and I want to learn." That really relaxes you. I, okay, I don't have to know everything. I can learn from each other. Like, I don't know everything. Let's talk about this. Yeah. And do you think that these, I guess, steps subconsciously that you've done? Well, actually, it's not subconscious because you really really rethinking about hang on i need to be kind of myself i need to you know uh, stop using languages like oh you know i should have done better or you know i should have done this and you know because i do that i ruminate all the time and i have to consciously um, tell myself actually stop i've done the best that i could in my ability that i know uh, of my knowledge in that moment in time and that i need to be kind of myself do you think that those steps that you've done consciously are the self-care steps that you've done to progress professionally within the sector? Yes, that's actually one of the self-care uh, tips that I daily do it uh, daily do to myself as well. So having those positive affirmation 
but able to also dissect why are you feeling this way mm-hmm. that's uh, again self-care doesn't always look like oh i'm gonna indulge this box of chocolate um it can um to fill your bucket uh your needs as well you're you have to be able to answer the question you're having in your own mind so for example let's just say you're having a bad day it's just a bad day um uh, in the classroom and then you go like oh i'm so frustrated i i'm just so annoyed and then um you should able be uh, try to uh ask yourself why are you having a bad day and then you might be like oh the children are just being really rowdy they're not listening all right they are children they're not listening but why is that upsetting you oh because when the children are not listening and they're not uh, paying attention to me that makes me a bad teacher and being a bad teacher really upsets me because people will see that i'm not competent there you go and then you should uh you should be kind to yourself by uh by saying just because the children are acting up that's not a reflection of you as a teacher you tried your best uh you've used a couple of strategies and tactics it didn't work let's reassess so reframing the experience as well and um being able to dissect through your emotions why are you feeling a certain way and finding the root cause of it can be so empowering for you so that you're able to come the next day and be and be open and be and still energize yourself okay i'm gonna try things differently let's be solution oriented Hmm. but the 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 dialogue that you have uh given the example the dialogue that you have uh have in with yourself that really shows that you're comfortable with being vulnerable with yourself and that is such a difficult thing to do like i know that like even just a thought of why why is that triggering me how is that you know making me uncomfortable and you know going deeper in the roots of what the triggers are and why you know what this experience and how this makes my body feel it's uh it's definitely something that we need to do more within you know mental health awareness and tapping within ourselves and just sort of understanding um all of those processes because when we actually do that we're not only becoming a better teacher but we're also um normalizing that with children as well because i can imagine that you are also sharing that thought processes and that dialogue with children as well is that something that you realize that you're doing in practice yeah that's true uh there are times as well like for example uh i've used my jingle my attention grabbers but the children are still here and there and i would just need to get all their attention and be like oh there's a um there's a reason why as you can see my face is unhappy and then I'll, be, I'll, I'll be sharing through all oh, because I want to do all of these fun activities with you but if um, if we I can't get everyone to listen to me it's really hard to organize this fun activity so I do also implement this dialogue with the children like reasoning rationalizing why um, for example oh, um, again I have this one child uh, in the room let's just call call her C C's really perceptive and she would she'd go like oh Darren uh, you're upset and then uh, I'm like yes I am upset and then like uh, because of a, B, C, D, E. So, and way I'm uh, intentional as well. Like when I am trying to discuss emotions with the children, but also with myself, I try to put a. There's a key takeaway or learning a uh, learning opportunity here. Not don't get consumed too much uh, based on emotion, and you start raising your voice, and then um, children, uh, you know, get quiet, and they they look. Uh, there's this tension in the air. Uh, I try to take a step back. Like okay, this is the moment where you can step up. Use it as an in, uh, as a learning moment. Um, however, 
those days may may not be again every day. So working with team collegiality, like supporting each other, is really important. Yeah, you can step back and say, hey, I'm really at a twenty percent right now. I'm just really not feeling. Can I just stay inside and let's swap? Can you be outside with the children? Yeah, and it's okay to show that to uh, to educators as well because to your co-educators because sometimes educators the, your team wants to help. They want to be there for you, and they feel closer to you as well when they know uh, these things that you're able to open up. And next time as well, you can return the favor. Maybe the, uh, your co-educators might say, "Oh, you know, uh, today I'm just not feeling my best as well." Great, I'm here to help you. Like uh, I'll give you a hand uh, this time. I'll, you know, I'll take over maybe group time or I'll lead the whole lunch, uh, l- uh, lunch today. So yeah, that's just a quick example. Yeah, most definitely. I think yeah, being open and vulnerable is not only just for the children's, uh, you know, normalizing that language, but also you know, creating that honest and trusting relationship with the team. And you know, I think vulnerability is so powerful tool. Um, that we often take for granted um, and, and, and that language that we use to uh, be vulnerable with ourselves, checking in with ourselves, it really radiates to other people that we have around us. Yeah. Darren, we are towards the end of our recording um, and I haven't, I, I'm looking through the list of the questions I have. We only touched like one or two on it. <laughs> so we probably need to uh, get you to come on um, again in a podcast. But just a couple of questions to finish off today. One yep. advice would you tell your beginning teacher self? What would that be? Okay, um, have a growth mindset and solution-oriented mindset, and try not to fall into the culture of complacency, where you feel stagnant and also finger pointing. Because it's very easy, um, uh, I would say, in this sector, to fall into that uh, trap. And again, it's like a muscle. We have to practice it and train to become stronger in it. Um, and number two, like I mentioned previous as well. You can always renew yourself. Think of your career and professional identity like a marathon, not a race. So I have this quote and I've written it down from Deepak Chopra. The human is a river of intelligence, energy and information that is constantly renewing itself in every second of its existence. So think of yourself as like a flow of river. You're able to renew yourself. The day goes on, the sun will rise again. Uh, Let's be better. Yeah, and don't just focus on the negativity don't focus on things that happened yesterday and ruminate like like what i do but looking at you know solution oriented looking ahead what it is that what are the steps and measures that i can do to move forward so that i can better myself and i can you know come out from this yeah uncomfortable zone um my another question for you would be what would be the vision for early childhood for you what would you like to see happening within the early child sector space uh, the, oh, okay on top of my head straight away uh because i'm currently as well uh completing my master's in inclusive and special education i would love to see more um teachers and educators as well, being more competent and equipped in um, helping children with additional needs. And also, um, let's just say, not only helping the children straight away with additional needs and get, uh, gathering that strategies, but also helping families as well. Where can they go uh, afterwards from here? And having those conversations with families as well, opening up uh, opening up that, I would say, that Pandora box. Um, so that's my, uh, I guess, my vision for the future of early childhood education uh, because I feel the trend happening right now currently again just my feeling no no data <laughs> of support from here just a feeling of experience there's more children now um, having more additional needs and support that they require 
as time goes by, as the year goes by, as I've seen cohort from cohort as well. So, and also for educa educators as well, it's um, it's where we uh, we need to refine and sharpen our skill sets, you know, to meet uh, to meet the the needs of the children. Yeah, and I think that comes from the research of that all learners are diverse and that we're all individual. That uh, you know, one way of assessment and ways of thinking or education is not. Uh, no longer fits in a, a singular box. It comes in different shapes yes. and sizes and that children comes in different shapes and sizes because their learning abilities are all different. So um, it's great that we are now recognizing that children are unique and different and have, uh, I guess, diverse abilities. And so, um, you know, I think it's great that, you know, like you, you know, learning about how to support children in different ways. And what does that look like in education? So yeah, I agree. I'm very excited to see what's going to look like in early childhood for supporting children with diverse needs. So yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much, uh, Darren, for being on the podcast. Uh, it's such a privilege to have you to share your journey and your thoughts and your ideas. And I hope that you know people will be inspired and just ponder and reflect with you know even uh you know t the takeaway for you know this episode could be about you know uh, the language that we use around gender uh, norms uh and i think that would be such a powerful tool uh, and we, if we can make that difference within the sector that would be fantastic likewise Steve. thank you so much for having me here and uh i've been really enjoying uh, having this conversation with you like uh, it it ended really quickly out I was like, oh, we're towards the end? Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks, Darren. No worries, Dee. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting Through Early Education. If you like our episodes and have any feedback or you would like to share your teaching journey with us, we'd love to hear from you. And you can contact us by following our Instagram page by searching Teaching Journey Podcast.